Welcome to Erotically Neurotic, a sexy book club podcast. Join us as we take a deep dive into the world of romance and erotic fiction and have candid and hilarious conversations about sex, sexuality, and hidden fantasies. Please note that each of our episodes will contain explicit content and language and lots of spoilers, so please listen at your own discretion. Now grab your books and vibrators and welcome to the club. special guest episode for you today. We interviewed Helen Schurer, the author of the series The Legends of Thesmar. Her third book, Fate and Furies, is about to come out mm-hmm. at the time of this interview, and we are so excited. I, I still can't believe she agreed to meet with us. I know. She was just so lovely. Yeah, Everything about, I loved every second of talking to her. And I can't believe I held it together as well. We both held it together as well as we did. Did you notice that I think she's similar to you and doesn't really care about kids? Yes. We (laughs) We bonded over our shared hatred of baby tropes. Yes. And then you said something like, well, Amanda doesn't want kids. And she was like, same. And I was like, "Mm, we're best friends. Exactly. You were like, I knew this was meant to be. I think she should be our third. You guys, you should have seen. So she was sitting in her office and while we were video calling, and it was the most organized thing I've ever seen. Oh my God. Her post-its were just color-coordinated and mm-hmm. beautiful, and it was just, ugh, it gave my, you know, type A OCD brain just, like, such joy. It's like, she's the version of me that I've always wanted to be. Yes. Whenever, like, we just bought these new planners, and we were like, it's great, it's going to be life-changing. It's been sitting on my shelf <laughs> since the week after I bought it. Like, I just don't know how to be organized in the same way. Yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah. And I can't believe she talked to us and we just, we just loved it. Yeah. I cannot wait for this third book. Mm-hmm. I think actually the third book will be out by the time we publish this episode. Oh, yeah. And I will devour it. <laughs> and yeah. Oh. My, my bet is for you, two days. I'm going to say probably. Yeah. I'll keep you all posted. Yeah. But yes, she's amazing. We really hope you enjoy our interview with Helen. We talk about you know, the first book, because that's the one that we covered Mm -hmm. in our podcast. That's one is Blood and Steel, but we also get into her upcoming books. The Legends of Thesmar as a series is going to have four. Mm -hmm. So her third book will be coming out, but there's still one more to go. And everything from how she creates these names to how she world builds to Mm -hmm. her hate of baby tropes, just like Amanda (laughs) and I. So we hope you enjoy. Yeah. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you guys? We're good. We're really good. We're so excited. Thank you so much for being willing to talk to us. This is like, we actually couldn't believe when your assistant responded to us that we actually got through to you because we are just (laughs) such big fans of your work. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to talk to you guys. Yeah, yeah. So I we would we were thinking maybe we could start with a little bit about you, a little bit about your writing, and then get into the Legends of Thesmar series because that's what we focus on in our episode. Um, so if that works for you, we'll just dive right in. Yeah, sure. Sounds good. Okay, cool. So 
love to learn specifically about your journey of becoming a writer um, and a writer of romantic fantasies specifically. How did you get into this? Um, well, I've always been I've always been a writer. It's something I've done since I was a child. So I've always been dabbling in stories, thinking up like I, I started off writing about fairies and all that kind of stuff when I was about seven. Um, and over the course of my career, I've I've generally stuck to fantasy, but it's really only been in the last, uh, I suppose, year and a bit that I veered into adult romantic fantasy. So I wrote YA before this. Um, and I think that just sort of happened quite naturally because my my reading tastes changed. I started reading a lot more romance heavy books, whether that was contemporary or fantasy romance. And it was something that I wanted to explore as a writer. So I just sort of, um, I pivoted into the the adult space and the romance space and haven't really looked back. It's been a lot of fun. Did you feel like there were any challenges moving from YA into more of the adult romance and writing sex scenes, or did that kind of flow seamlessly for you? Um, like behind closed doors, I think it it was quite a natural thing, and and I just was having so much fun with it that I didn't really think too much about it. I think from like a career author point of view the readership is a little bit different. And so I did have to navigate some changing expectations from my previous readership of YA into adult. I tried to make it very clear that that was the change that was happening and that they would be getting more explicit content. And if that wasn't for them, then that was absolutely fine. Um, but that's that's really the only thing that I've been conscious about, I think, as I've sort of progressed into that genre. Yeah. Oh, well, I was just going to say, do you think... Have you noticed that uh, one of those populations is like more intense? I feel like we call it romanticies. The romanticy audience can be like really intense about their books. So I'm wondering if yeah. you've experienced that. <laughs> yeah, I have. I have mostly in a good way, like people, um, you know, getting into my DMs with their reactions for the book that are that are very intense. Um, people emailing me very sort of like private stories of theirs and stuff like it is. Um, it's very vocal. It's very intense, but you know, I wouldn't really have it any other way. I don't think. I mean, clearly not us. Clearly Kayla and I can really rein it in. It's not like we have an entire <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I love it. Did you get any pushback from your YA readers when you started to kind of mature things a bit? Yeah, for sure. Like people, there were people who were disappointed that I was um, moving into a different genre, but at the end of the day, I had to, I'm the one that's sitting there writing the 100,000 word books. So I've got to do what's right for, for me ultimately. Um, so yeah, that that wasn't, it, it was hard seeing that reaction a couple of times, but I think in the long run, it's it's much better for me. I'm, I'm more passionate about this niche and the readership that I've gained through just this one one series of romantic fantasy has been pretty incredible. So I wouldn't take it back for anything. Mm. Is there a romantic uh, romantic series that you follow that you find yourself kind of having that same passion for that some of your fans have for your work? Uh, for sure. There's loads. <laughs> um, one that I love is The Bridge Kingdom. Um, that, that combines sort of like the the steamy, tension-filled romance with sort of more intriguing political world-building stuff, which I really like. 
Um, what else have I read recently? Um, I've been reading a lot more contemporary recently just because I'm writing and I find when I'm writing it's harder to read in the genre. Um, but what else have I read? Now, now it's it's stumping me. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I loved all the classics like Akatar, like From Blood and Ash, King of Battle and Blood, um, mm-hmm. all those ones that are just super addictive. Um, so, yeah, those are a couple. But, yeah, I definitely find myself fangirling over those ones. I think it's <laughs> when, when you know, there's a next one in the series coming out and you're really tempted to take the day off work to read it. That's when I know I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> those are the series that I think got us into this. We, I think we started reading Akatar like, oh, like, Kaylee, you should give this a shot. You might think it's cute. And then from there it was Blood and Ash, that series. Mm-hmm. And then it was just an immediate slide into all of these series. And that's how we came across your work too. But it does get addictive. You just, mm-hmm. you can't have just one. You have to keep going. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it says about us when it's like, you know, I love my husband, but I'm like, you're not a 140 year old, you know, fey male. So are you really enough for me? Like <laughs> you have no powers and <laughs> you can't wield a sword. So, <laughs> oh, it's a hard, hard, harsh reality. <laughs> so tell yeah, us it'll... what is your favorite trope, both to read and to write? Um, I think it's the same trope, actually. Uh, found family. I love it. I love the banter. I love the sort of like sort of healing process that comes with it. Um, and I, that's something that whether I've written YA or adult, just uh, epic fantasy or romantic fantasy, found family is in all of my books. Um, I love the sort of dynamics you get in a in a cast for found family. It's really fun to play with. Um, so yeah, that's that's something I love writing and reading. That's so fun. I've never heard that as an answer. And I really love that. And when you're talking about the banter, I immediately think of Cal and Kip because obviously, <laughs> how could you not? I feel like they are such a fan favorite of the books, at least for Amanda and I and the friends of ours that we recommended this book to have all texted us being like, oh my gosh, they're our favorite characters. So that's <laughs> what I think of when you say found family for, for Legends of Thesmar. Um, oh, I've never heard that. I love that. I I wouldn't even think of that as a trope, but now I will. My like, it, I suppose it was a pull between that and enemies to lovers, but I think uh, I think I have more fun with found family. Enemies to lovers can be much easier to get wrong, and it's a lot. It's a lot of sort of um, work across the expanse of the book to get all the tension filled moments right, to hit all the beats and stuff. Whereas. I think found family comes more naturally to me. Um, like the scenes with Cal and Kip are just, it's just so much fun to write. Mm-hmm. So, and it, it, so the writing process goes a lot more quickly as well for me when I'm doing found family. I can see that the flow of those scenes um, matches that. I remember Kayla and I were at a coffee shop and we, we both will just sit, like we parallel play all the time. We just sit next to each other and read and I was laughing like out loud and she's like, what are you laughing at? And I was just like, oh, it's a Cal and Kip scene. And she's like, oh, got it. Yeah. <laughs> they're just oh, so charming. <laughs> they're, they're a lot of fun. You're right though. We were just talking earlier today that the, the enemies to lovers trope when done well is so great, but it can, it can miss the mark and just mm-hmm. almost just be mean. 
where people are just consistently mean to each other again and again and again to the point that you're like I don't really want to be a party to this I don't really I don't approve of people treating each other this way I don't really enjoy this kind of tension I think the way you write Hawthorne and Thea in the, in the first book I just think it's the perfect balance of there's tension and there's some gruffness and there's guardedness, but it's not just mean for the sake of being mean or it's not just snarky for the sake of being snarky. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm glad that that came across. That's good to hear. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because I also think a lot of times with enemies to lovers, we really just see like they are basically enemies the whole time, but then with just a lot of sexual tension and they just like to have a lot of sex and they have a lot of chemistry and that's how they become lovers. But there's really no other connection besides a sexual connection, which again, as Amanda said with Hawthorne and Thea, that was like secondary. There's always the tension, but there was so much more. They respected each other. They learned from each other. And then the sex obviously really added to it, but <laughs> we needed it. But yeah, it wasn't just like, oh, enemies to lovers, but really we're just like enemies that have sex. So now we're in love. <laughs> like it wasn't yeah. It's it's a tricky one. And especially like, I think everybody has their own sort of definition of enemies to lovers. Like some people might, it might be just rivals to lovers. It might be, you know, we had this one argument that was really big and now, you know, like it, it has a very uh, broad spectrum, I think. So it, it makes it difficult sometimes when you're talking about it to people, particularly from a marketing point of view, when, you know, you're using the trope as a marketing tool what is what is that person's expectations of that trope because it might be slightly different to your own so it's it's tricky to navigate but you know it's all part of part of the fun sure sure so what is one of your least favorite tropes to read and have you ever ha had to write a trope that you didn't enjoy um I don't think I've written one that I haven't enjoyed I think I tend to if I'm not enjoying it I'm concerned that that will come through so I pretty much write what I enjoy. Um, as for least favorite trope to read, I would probably say the pregnancy trope. I'm just really not, it's just not my cup of tea. Um, <laughs> especially when it's like a surprise in the middle of the book and suddenly the girl's throwing up and you're like, oh God, here we go. <laughs> um, that's, I would say that that's a bit of a bummer for me, that trope. <laughs> oh, preach. This is like the biggest thorn in our side with some of these books where it's like, hot and heavy, so amazing. Again, sometimes with the enemies to lovers, they barely had a conversation with one another. You know, it's just kind of like anger and then angry sex. And then suddenly they're pregnant and a happy family. And we're like, oh, like what a mood killer. Like, why did you have to bring the baby into this? Yeah, I'm reading this to escape, you know? I don't, I don't yes. use the, the harsh realities of, of motherhood or anything like that. Um, I find it more common in contemporary, to be fair. I've, I don't think I've read um, a, a romanticy lately where in the middle she gets knocked up, which is, which is nice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> agreed. I feel like it's in a lot of contemporary and Amanda and I cannot stand it. Mm. Um, especially, I mean, I've read a few books where the they're like pregnant throughout the book and it's like hot and heavy sex. I'm like, whose pregnancy is this? <laughs> Whose pregnancy is this? This is some bullshit. <laughs> that was not my experience. 
good good luck with your new child but oh my gosh that's really great because Amanda and Amanda doesn't have kids and she's really happy not having kids so we we both don't like we both don't like that tropes for different reasons but we're like no we we can't deal with it yeah I'm with you (laughs) I also just feel like I'm very passionate about this I'm curious kind of what you think about this as an author um especially an author who writes um some pretty steamy scenes. It's not the focus of your book, but there's definitely a buildup to them. And they're fantastic. But I kind of feel like, I kind of feel like sometimes, um, I don't know if it's done consciously or not, but it's almost like a way to justify all of the quote unquote, like promiscuity in in, in the rest of the book, where it's like, yeah, maybe you had sex with your boss when you weren't supposed to, and you were, you know, you guys did it in public and kind of all of this, like, kind of raunchy wild sexually lead into it but it's actually okay because they end up getting married and having a baby and then they live the traditional life it's like instead of just allowing the character to like explore her sexuality and have fun with it and you know just um embrace it it's like but it has to kind of be tidied up because she's she's a good girl at the end she's like a good little housewife at the end (laughs) Yeah, I can definitely see that, see that side to it. Um, Again, I don't think it's nearly as common in romanticy, um, but I definitely see it a lot in contemporary, especially when you're reading, you know, a series of, you know, five brothers or whatever, and each book is the brother and his meeting his person. And then every epilogue is, and then they got married and had three children. I'm like, everybody in that family just had you know 2.5 kids and Uh that was it and Uh that I find that grating it doesn't need to be every single person sure some people have kids but also some people don't and don't want them and Mm -hmm. it that I definitely find quite grating but yeah it's not it's not so common in not at least not the romanticies that I've that I've read and certainly not in the ones I'm writing (laughs) yeah thank you bless you for that (laughs) I'm wondering, do you find it easier to write, instead I'll say, not in general, I'll say the sex scenes. Is it easier to write a male point of view or a female point of view, or do you find them both equally easy or challenging? Um, I would say they're both challenging in the sense that I want to balance the physicality of it with the emotion of it and hit the emotional beats during the actual physical act of it. I have more fun writing from the man's point of view because obviously I don't get to do that in real life. So (laughs) I find it really fun pretending I'm the dude and, and, you know, doing all the fun stuff. So yeah, that's, it's super fun for me just getting to have like a different point of view and and play around with that. Um, But yeah, they, they can both be, you know, difficult. Sometimes the writing of it isn't as sexy as you would think because you're there going, oh, I've used the word pleasure 18 million times or could that be physically possible if they're in a cave and there's a rock there but this is happening over there? Like you have to kind of analyse it as you're writing it. So it can lose a little bit of its charm but that's what editors and, and friends are for when they're reading through it. They can uh, <laughs> help help make the magic happen, you know? <laughs> totally. They're like, um, I've done this and there's no way it could be done that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> if you're like I need a control group and an experimental group who wants to sign up to trial these things <laughs> that would be an interesting call out <laughs> yes <laughs> we'll help if you ever do it <laughs> noted <laughs> 
if you, so you've gone from YA to romanticy, is there any other genre that you have been interested in writing? Um, I actually started off writing literary fiction, which was incredibly boring. Um, so not that. <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day. I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, maybe one day, I don't know. I think if I was going to write something else, it would probably be contemporary just to see what it's like when you strip away all the world building and the magic and the, you know, just the sheer volume of stuff that makes one of the a romantic book, you know, a hundred thousand plus words. What would it be like to write a 70,000 word book where you don't have to describe, you know, the five kingdoms and the different, you know, monarchs and all of that stuff, you know? So I'd, I'd be curious, but at the moment like I can't really see past the the passion for romanticy to be honest as you're writing it as you're writing specifically Legends of Fesmar do you have the whole kingdom kind of already set up in your mind and you're introducing it as you go or are you building the kingdom as you write because it is so the, detailed yeah for the most part like you can see that up where there that's my map of the mid realms um so i did create the mid realms before i started writing with a view to contain at least blood and steel to fesmar itself and then harrenth which is the neighboring uh kingdom for the most part but as we go through the entire series of the legends of fesmar we'll travel around the whole mid realms and so i kind of needed to have it mapped out so I could know the logistics of the series. Um, <laughs> I think I think I sort of build finer details as I go, but as the, the broader scope of it, I, I have before I start writing. Wow. And how do you come up with these names? Like Thesmar, how does that come to you? I have no idea. <laughs> I think that seems like one of the hardest parts is literally like, how does that become a thing in your brain? <laughs> yeah, honestly, like I'm, I'm actually drafting right now. Um, it's the the first book in the series that comes after the legends of Thesmar. So I'm back to coming up with names again. And the manuscript is just riddled with XXX said, and then like, and I have to, cause I can't, as I'm writing, come up with the names and I was due to start writing. I've got a bunch of names and I was like, I just need to write. And then the, the right name will come to me at some point and I can just replace it um, because it is, like you just don't realize how many names are involved in a book like this. Like you think, oh, well, you know, you've got your protagonist, your your hero, you've got a couple of side characters, but then you've got all the kingdoms, the capitals of the kingdoms. You've got the different ranks within the warrior system. You've got everything under the sun. And no matter how long I spend at my, I've got my three whiteboards just behind where I'm talking to you. And I brainstorm and brainstorm on these three whiteboards for days doesn't matter how long I sit there it'll still sometimes take for me to write the actual book to then come up with the right name because it just it's more intuitive I think at, after a certain point um I honestly can't even remember where Fesmar came from now <laughs> well one thing Kayla and I both agreed on immediately is Hawthorne might actually be the sexiest name you could come up with for a male character <laughs> so it was just spot on like that in terms yes. of naming perfection <laughs> awesome I'm glad you think that I had um I had a, a brainstorm with a couple of my friends here um and I was like okay guys I'm, I need to come up with a name that can be both formidable 
and sexy and like I listed all these characteristics and I gave them like a short list of names and it, funnily enough like we'd had a wine or two at this point and funnily enough the the test of the name was does it sound sexy if you yell it out and so <laughs> we sat there just yelling these names to each other and Hawthorne was the one we settled on so <laughs> that's amazing yeah <laughs> that's wild wild Saturday nights at author HQ here <laughs> but also brilliant it makes a lot of sense because if his name was like Barry or something, Barry, yeah, it's like they're fine names, but when you yell it out, it just doesn't hit the same way as Hawthorne does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> can can you imagine someone both shouting it out as they ride into battle and also shouting it out in the bedroom? It's got to overlap. Barry, I can't. <laughs> oh, Eugene. <laughs> <laughs> so, so focusing specifically on Legends of Thesmar, um, we loved these characters. We loved how you wrote Thea's storyline. Um, a big part of her storyline, especially in the beginning, is that she, as a woman, is just chronically underestimated by everyone around her. She's underestimated by her higher up. She's underestimated by her peers. She's underestimated by Hawthorne. And so it really is a story of her proving her worth, proving her strength, proving her capability. And I'm curious, is this something you've ever experienced? Um, and did you kind of use her to reflect how you dealt with it or how you wish you had dealt with it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that is a common obstacle that all women face at some point or another throughout their lives. Mm -hmm. No, like whether it's in work, family life, whatever, there will be some sort of aspect of life where they get treated like that um, or underestimated, like you said. I think um, I've definitely faced several things like that throughout life that I think maybe just get ingrained in you. Maybe you're not so aware of them. Like I, I thinking that now I'm like, I can't really pinpoint one exact thing to share with you, but it's just, I suppose, a lifetime of small things that, that go on. Um, and to a certain extent, trying to be an author as well was very much like, you can't do that. You can't make a, a career out of it, um, particularly, you know, I started off writing literary fiction because that was the only way I thought you could be taken seriously. And so I went down the wrong path there for a while. Um, and it really wasn't until I started writing fantasy and fantasy romance that I sort of found my groove and found my people and, you know, got taken seriously in another way. Um, but, yeah, I think there are many, many aspects of, of life where you're constantly either proving yourself and having to prove yourself or thinking that you have to do that. Um, so that must have just sort of bled into her as as I was writing, I think. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think it, I was just talking to someone the other day about this. Because I, I was thinking about, are you, you're in New, New Zealand, correct? I'm Australian, but I live in New Zealand, okay. yeah. Okay, okay. Are you, um, <laughs> I don't know if it was big here. I don't know if it was big around the world, but it had to do with Taylor Swift. So I'm assuming, you know, the entire world cared about it um at the grammys or the was it the golden globes the the host made a joke at taylor swift's expense and then made a joke about the barbie movie just being a movie about a doll with boobies like so the this monologue that this host gave kayla are you familiar with this yeah 
Yeah, so this monologue the host gave, just there were a couple jokes where like women and women's issues were just kind of the butt of the joke. And then there was this big backlash. And I really think after this, I think after this summer of like celebrating women and women, you know, what women have accomplished between, um, you know, the success of the Barbie movie, the success of Taylor Swift, the success of Beyonce, you know, it was a summer where we just got to like celebrate women and be really overtly excited about women's accomplishments. I think there is this movement um, of like, just not tolerating that bullshit anymore. That women being the butt of the joke, just because we're women, like we're just not, it seems like people are are not la like giggling that away. That just be, mm. being underestimated because we're female, people don't really have patience for that anymore. It's just, it's lazy. Yeah. It's not funny. It's not productive. Yeah. And I suppose you could argue that about the romance genre as a whole, like that itself has not always been taken that seriously. Oh, it's, you know, sex books for women or, you know, pink covers, that sort of stuff. And actually it's romance that carries the entire publishing industry. So it's, you know, it's the same old shit really. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Romance, romance <laughs> carries the publishing industry. And I think it also carries a lot of relationships. I mean, <laughs> the, I feel like the more, you know, friends and women we talk to, the more you realize, you know, people who read these books and it's helped them a lot in their own relationships. Not that they mm -hmm. have bad relationships, but especially when you're with someone for a long time, it can be hard to be excited and try new things. And honestly, these, these books make women excited and in turn, yeah. their partners are really not. happy. <laughs> well it's not only that I think that you know romance is in particular like a safe space to explore not only like the sexual aspect of the the story but you know personal development and growth and yeah. the the kind of relationship you want the kind of relationship that is good and healthy and sometimes it can take reading a book like that to kind of hold a mirror up to something else in your life that then you know you realize, oh, maybe this shouldn't be happening or maybe maybe I need to communicate more. Or like you get you get to explore things, I think, in a very safe environment when you're reading a romance book. Yeah, we talk about this a lot on the podcast, but where we live, we have a very large Mormon community. Um, and so I'm not sure if in Australia or New Zealand, there's a big Mormon population, but um, for people who are kind of on the stricter side of the LDS faith, um, it's very conservative. It's very shame-based when it comes to sex and sexuality, specifically around women. So I have a I have a bunch of friends who they use romance novels to teach themselves about female empowerment, to teach themselves about sex, to teach themselves about what is okay, um, what's not okay, what you can ask for, um, how to set boundaries, the fact that female pleasure even exists. Um, a lot of them didn't know that growing up. So, I mean, I think I'm just learning over and over again, like how powerful and how important this genre is, whether it's contemporary or romantic-y. Yeah, absolutely. So Fate and Furies comes out in February. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> how are you feeling? I'm sure it's a whirlwind right now getting ready for the release in just a month. What What is happening in your world with it? Um, yeah, it's, it's very nerve wracking. Um, 
<laughs> as you guys know, Vows and Ruins, which is the book before, ended on quite a big uh, gut punch. And so, um, good. so I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about uh, how people are going to, you know, process and receive what happens in Fate and Furies. And I'm also still trying to get the word out that Fate and Furies is actually the penultimate installment. It's not a trilogy. It's a quartet. Um, so I am a little bit worried that that message hasn't gotten across because if you think that um, it's a trilogy, you're probably going to be upset <laughs> at the end of uh, the uh, at the end of Fate and Furies. But yeah, besides like you know the general launch nerves and and all that sort of stuff, it's just sort of a bit chaotic. Like you know I've got arcs going out next week. I've got release tours. I've got um, lives with influencers booked in. Um, it's just a lot of stuff. And all the while that's going on, I'm actually still just trying to write, which I'm doing as my day job. So um, I'm working on the book that comes after this series. So it feels very weird to sort of be pulled out of that and back into a book like two books before, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So it's it can be a little disorientating, but um, yeah, it's it's fun. And I am I am looking forward to having it out in the world. Wow. So does this mean you've actually, you've complete, you've already completed the quartet too, and you, it's technically. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you have. Yeah. Um, well, it's with the book four is done. It's just with the copy editor. So it, it comes back to me, I think at the end of this month and I make the changes and then it's off to typesetting and proofing and, and all that jazz. So for the most part, the heavy lifting for book four minus the marketing side of it is done. Wow. I feel that's like sick. that's, I mean, I don't, I obviously don't know about writing and publishing, but that feels like really ahead of the game. <laughs> yes and no. Like it, to, to a lot of people, it is like a lot of people will just be working on the book that's coming out next. Um, to me, I would happily be five books ahead because um, it gives you that sort of breathing room for, you know, if stuff goes wrong in life or, you know, there's a delay with the printer or, it's it's just nice to know for me anyway like what's coming um but yeah I, I'm pretty like comfortable with with where I'm at in the sort of line of production at the moment so it's good <laughs> I actually really love that because it to me um and maybe I'm reading too much into it let me know if you're like all right relax but to me that really speaks to your confidence in the story that you're telling um, because you're not waiting with each book to get feedback and then writing the story based on what people are telling you they want. You're really telling the story that you want and you're being true to your characters and your vision, um, which I think is fantastic. And we we don't always see that with series that have, you know, four, five, six books. Sometimes it feels like the last couple are really based on fanfare and what fans ask for and not consistent with where the story started. So I love yeah. that you, you just, you just wrote it. You just wrote the series. Yeah. I mean, like, it's hard not to get sucked into, uh, you know, reading reviews and stuff like that. I tend, yeah. I tend to try and keep that at bay because it's very easy to go down the dark end of that. Um, but for the most part, I'm already far enough ahead that it's not impacting that particular book that they're giving feedback on. And I, I mean, I've got a, a small group of trusted beta readers who I work with with each book as I go through the series. Um, so I am getting feedback, but I'm getting very targeted feedback from people I trust rather than listening to, you know, a 
kind of vortex of voices of people I don't know. <laughs> Everyone yelling out into the void. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, if you ever need two more beta readers, uh, Kayla can read like three books in a day. I need maybe wow. a week. <laughs> good to know. Good to know. Right now, I think my, my current beta readers take about three weeks, but for me, I kind of need that break after I've been working on it. I give it to them and then I, I work on something else for three weeks. So it, it works out okay for my process anyway at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Kayla, you would be too efficient. You would <laughs> you would make Helen work way too hard. No, yeah. I would have to, I would slow down because I would be taking notes. I will take my job seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about how many times I'm going to reread this series because I have to reread series as the next book comes out. I cannot just pick up the third book. So I'm waiting until like three days before the series comes out and then I'll restart so I can just be right back in the zone. <laughs> oh, awesome. Yeah, I, I think I, I normally do that too. I'm thinking for maybe the release of book four, I'll do some sort of um, like community read along thing. Um, so we'll see, we'll see what happens with that. But um, I've had a couple of requests for that kind of thing. So yeah, that might be a fun thing to do. Yeah. What would that look like? I don't think I've heard of a community read along. Oh, just like people can join up like probably via Instagram to a Discord server or some similar platform and you read um, however many chapters a week and you start with, I mean, in my case, you'd start with Blood and Steel, go to Vows and Ruins, Fate and Furies, and then the, the fourth book. Um, you'd finish the read along just as the fourth book came out. So you're doing exactly that, you know, having that um, re-experience of, of the series before the next yeah. one comes out. Yeah. Oh my God, and I love like that. discussion questions and, and bits and bobs like that. Just, you know, people can chat about it as they're reading it. Um, so yeah, me and my assistant are going to work on something like that, hopefully, um, after Fate and Furious comes out. Because I, I need yeah. a break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Give yourself some time before yeah. <laughs> taking on that next. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the, one of the final questions we have, which is like the biggest question in our podcast, right? Like our entire podcast revolves around this question. Do you have a favorite sex scene from Blood and Steel and why? Why is it this scene? Oh, from Blood and Steel. That's tricky because technically there's only one sex scene in Blood and Steel. <laughs> so we did, um, for this one, we did sexy scene for the first book. Oh, we sexy, had to change sexy. the question. Okay. Sexy. Well, Mm. <laughs> I like the scene where um, she goes to use like the the teacher's baths essentially and he walks in on her and like nothing happens but it is some thick sexual tension in that scene and that was a lot, lot of fun to write um, so I think that that might have been my favorite one to write just because I knew it was going to give everybody blue balls <laughs> <laughs> It totally did. I resented <laughs> you a little bit at the moment, but it totally paid off. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. I'm glad the suffering was worth it. It was. And then when, when Theo was at Hawthorne's house and they were really seemed like it was about to go down. And I, I was like, there's no way like their first time is going to be this like chaotic and just out of the blue. And I was like, okay. Like on a deck. I know I'm like I'm not expecting it but like finally thank god and then the <laughs> second it starts it stops and I was like 
I knew it. There's no <laughs> way. But once again, the blue balls were so dark blue. I couldn't. <laughs> Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a slow burn of a book. Um, I like to think I made up for it in book two. Um, oh, but... sure did. You sure did. Yes. But you know what? That really is the best part. I mean, the slow burn is truly our favorite. As much as you are just like dying for them to finally be together, that is what makes it so special. The tension, the tension, the tension. It drags you through the whole whole book doesn't it like from yeah. chapter mm -hmm. to chapter and that's that's what I've loved about several romanticies as well you're just you're kind of there half cursing the author half cheering them on but man is it a fun ride <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, when it's like 3 a.m and your eyes are so sore because you have to sleep but you're like I, I know it's gonna happen it's gonna it's happen about to happen <laughs> <laughs> yeah I have to get there I was exactly. so shocked I I remember feeling like I couldn't believe how much Thea put herself out there and got continuously rejected. Mm. Even though as a reader, you know Hawthorne is into her. You know that he's trying to hold himself like back. Holding himself back is so difficult. And yet he still kept, it's still a rejection. And she kept making the first move. And I was like, I could never do this. It, it, it was such a powerful Thing for me to read because I felt like she she did it four or five times and mm. continuously was rejected and I'm like how how are you still doing this I would be like crying in a corner <laughs> I had um I had a couple of interesting conversations about that with um with another author friend of mine because what I wanted to do with Thea was kind of make her very unapologetic about what she wanted whether that was becoming a war sword whether it was having sex with Hawthorne like she she wanted something, she went out and she tried to get it um, and not had like this this shame associated with, with that. So that was quite important to me to just keep giving her that drive and, you know, she just, she just went for it and she got hers. So <laughs> <laughs> yes, she did. I, I remember reading that scene and thinking like, if I stood up buck naked in front of the guy I wanted to have sex with and he looked at my body head to toe and went, no, <laughs> like I would be like, yeah, I'll be an alchemist. That's fine. I don't need to be around these people. I'll just uh, studying plants. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. But no, I agree. Thea was unapologetic, but not also not in a way that I ever found to be like too abrasive. I, I felt mm. like she was, yeah, because I think right. There's always a balance of a lot of female main characters are like really more like weak and submissive and like to be dominated and I mean I I enjoy those female characters as well and then you have the opposite end of the spectrum where it's like they are dominate they are domineering and very dominating I enjoy that as well but sometimes it can be like almost too much or like too clashing but I felt like Thea was unapologetically herself knew what she wanted but also it never I don't know it never annoyed me it never bothered me I was just like yes you go girl <laughs> like it felt very female empowerment without feeling like it was a facade mm. uh, well that's that's good I mean I think I think finding that balance is very tricky and also like it doesn't necessarily have to be one extreme or 
or the other. We're all very complicated. And I think as relationships progress, you tend to learn new things, you try new things. So there's also an element of that going throughout the series as well. And, you know, growing with each other, um, which I'm excited for readers to see as the series continues, because it, you know, that's what it's all about, really. Yeah. So is there anything... Is there anything that you want us to, or that you want to promote anything you want to brag about anything you want people to kind of put on their, on their radar that's coming out? Um, well, the main thing that's, that's on the radar is Fate and Furies coming out on the 22nd of February. Um, the audiobooks for Blood and Steel and Vows and Ruins have finally dropped. So both first two books are out in audio as well. Um, all of them are in KU. So that's, you know, that's quite accessible for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, that's that's it really. I'm, I'm excited to, you know, progress with the series and, you know, share the finale with, with everybody at, later on this year as well. So yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. And I love that you're a KU author because it does, part of our, what we talk about in our podcast and kind of what we want for our audience is we want these books to be as accessible as possible. Um, I, <laughs> my sister didn't know that Kindle Unlimited exists. So she's been following along, reading all these books. And she's like, you're going to bankrupt me with all these books you guys are reading. I'm like, no, no, like six bucks a month. Like I had to introduce her to that. But I love the idea of these amazing books being so accessible to so many people. Mm. Yeah, it's it's really good. I mean, I'm I'm a subscriber to KU2. It's, I mean, that's how I'm not bankrupt. <laughs> like the amount of uh, contemporaries <laughs> I'm reading at the moment. Um, like obviously it can be a little bit tricky as from the author point of view, you know, it means that we can't sell eBooks on any other platforms. That's essentially what it means. Um, but it means that people with the subscription can read them for free. And the, the kind of readers who read this genre are voracious. Like they go through so many books, so they kind of need the subscription exactly as we're saying <laughs> to, uh, to not go bankrupt and to be able to, you know, pay their bills and stuff. <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh my gosh Helen thank you so much we are just so excited that you chatted with us getting to learn more about you and about Blood and Steel and the Legends of Thesbar and just how you are as a writer is fascinating um, I think we're always we're always just fascinated by how authors come up with these ideas what it's like for you to actually do this craft and we just are so appreciative for you to take your time and chat with us today. Yeah, especially oh, no with everything you've got going on. I know, like look oh, at your background. Like <laughs> like look at the look at the color-coded post-its because I'm feeling anxiety. So <laughs> if I don't I feel don't like have that, then I feel anxiety. If that was just blank, <laughs> I would be like, you know, rocking in the corner somewhere. <laughs> I know it's like <laughs> almost like it's like that's the version of myself I always want to be when I buy like new planners or something. And then like I last two days and I don't do it. So it's like, it's actually quite lovely to see someone <laughs> actually use it. Yeah. I wouldn't know what I would do without it. I think, you know, you wouldn't be getting three books a year from me. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Keep buying the sticky notes. Keep up with the yep, planner. Will do. <laughs> yeah. And thank you so, so much again. Good luck with the, uh, with the release. Oh, thank you so much for having me it's really nice to talk to you guys thank you enjoy the rest of your afternoon thanks bye bye thank you for being a part of our erotically neurotic community 
Don't forget to email your book recommendations, book club questions, and or any erotic stories, embarrassing moments, or sexual triumphs you want to share. Email us at eroticallyneuroticpodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at eroticallyneuroticpodcast. Hi there, Amanda here. I think it's worth noting that any and all thoughts shared in these episodes are a reflection of my own personal and constantly evolving opinions and not that of my profession or licensing board. While I am a therapist, I am not your therapist. Therefore, nothing I say in this podcast should be taken as therapy advice or guidance. Thank you so much for being a part of our sexy book club and tune in next week for our next episode.